A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here with another Minnesota Bound podcast. And we have another special guest, as they all are special. But um, we're going to talk to one of my favorite chefs and a wild game chef. In fact, that's our topic today. Um, and he is none other. You've seen him on Minnesota Bound, daughter Laura, for years, uh, fixing all kinds of wild things. Jim Kinberg is with us. Jim, welcome to our Minnesota Bound podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, listen, um, you know, my my level of uh, cooking is kind of uh, over hard eggs. I mean, I'm, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I can do some deep fat fry walleyes, but a lot of people say, oh, that's awful. Well, I don't think so. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you're in a different league, which is why you're my special guest. At this time of year, Jim, as you well know, a lot of people are out uh, hunting deer for venison, pheasants, uh, ducks, uh, uh, rough grouse, you name it, you name it. As somebody like yourself who is um, also an outdoor dude and a chef, when it comes to wild game, what's your first thought as a chef uh, about uh, preparing it? Oh, my first thought starts out in the field, honestly, when we're harvesting, putting the best shot you can, best uh, ethical you know, get them down quickly and quietly. Um, hopefully you don't lock any of that adrenaline into that muscle. And then uh, making sure you chill that meat down, clean them out and chill it down as quick as possible. That's a big part. Well, I was going to ask you, you hear a lot about that. Oh, it's been, deer's been wounded. Uh, adrenaline gets into meat. What is there truth to that? Or what, what, what does the adrenaline do? Will you taste it? It, it tightens up the muscle. It, it won't allow it to relax. And that's from my personal experience. I don't know the science behind it. I just know uh, from deers that I've had to track. It was even the sausage I made out of some of these deer that I've tracked for extended periods of time. Um, it, it created tough sausage. And that meat is going through an absolute grinder, literally. So I, I do believe there is some truth to that. Does that carry over to pheasants, for example? Um, I've had it in a grouse. I've experienced the same thing in a grouse, um, where it was, you know, hours before it had been harvested in the field and maybe it still had a little rigor mortis in it. That could have been it too. But, uh, grouse should not be tough. And it was a tough grouse breast, which was really frustrating because those are such little treasures. All right, Jim. Well, let's start with, uh, well, a big, a big dish in Minnesota in, no in November in the fall is venison. Um, you mentioned, you know, hopefully the animal has a quick, humane death and, uh, you, you cool the meat quickly and get it, uh, either cut it up yourself or take it to a, a butcher shop. Uh, what happens after that? Um, as far as you're concerned as a chef? 
Uh, just understanding uh, the different cuts and how they perform when being prepared. Um, you know, backstrap versus, you know, something off the leg or a rump. Um, they're going to cook a little bit differently, and especially with wild game because you don't have that internal marbling of fat to kind of help forgive some sins of maybe overcooking. Um, so, it, you know, a lot of it translates into making sure you're seasoning it properly, searing it properly, roasting it properly, letting it rest, uh, just because you don't, you know, that, that wild game is so much leaner. Um, so, you know, everybody loves the, the, the tenderloins, right? And right. those are pretty easy to prepare. You just can season those with a little salt and pepper and, and, you know, sear those in your cast iron pan, cook them to a perfect medium rare, you know, bring them out, let them rest for a minute, slice them and they're delicious. Yeah. But that, that's, you know, the rump is not going to, anything off the hind is not going to cook the same way that is, you know, those are what you want to reserved for those roasts, more of that slow and low uh, cooking in a very moist environment versus that, you know, very intense dry heat that you seared the the tenderloins in. Um, So just knowing those different cuts and how they perform and the way they taste the best, um, you know, that comes with time. That also comes with good recipes. Well, I've always been one, like you, I like the tenderloins, uh, some of the steaks on a venison um, I've had bad luck with the roast, I think, because I didn't do what you just were talking about. So I take the easy way. I I have the butcher grind up uh, the meat in the roast uh, <laughs> into burger, and I add a little. I have him add some pork. Sure. And I find that makes a that makes a great uh, a meat for chili or hamburgers, uh, cheeseburgers, you name it. It does. You're not lying. That pork fat goes a long, long way with the ground venison. If you don't add that, it tends to, you know, it, it, it's tough to make it really tasty, juicy uh, burger without that pork fat in there. Mm-hmm. And you kind of leave it up to your butcher to know how much pork to put in there? Yeah, usually it's up to 30% is the maximum. Some will go down to, you know, 10, 12%. But a 30%, um, you know, pork venison grind is about as much as I would ever want to go. All right. So you bring the venison home. It's all packaged. It's labeled. Well, your wife is uh, lukewarm about having venison to to begin with. So you put it in the freezer and she's um, hesitant to get it out unless you do. And so there it sits. So my question is, um, what? <laughs> how long can you keep venison in a freezer before you maybe you ought to feed it to the coyotes? <laughs> well, that, that's a great question, and it's a question I've been asked many times, and I always answer with a one-year mark. So if you have not you know, consume that meat within a year, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's still edible for human consumption. It's just going to start losing quality. Um, Mm. And the other reason I like to give that one-year mark, too, is it gets you motivated to clean out some room in the freezer because hopefully you're going back out into the woods and replenishing that supply, right? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Before we leave the topic of venison, Jim, do you have a real quick uh, venison dish that you like um you know one of my favorites uh, you know this is funny because we just prepared it i mean we're close to halloween right and every year i do um 
a, a chili. We live in a small town that gets a lot of traffic for trick-or-treaters. So we always have a party on Halloween. I always make a big batch of chili, and it's always got some wild game in it. So I, I use some venison, and I save a lot of the trim and scraps that goes into it. But one of my favorite parts is the heart. And people get a little squeamish sometimes, like, ooh, I don't know if I'd like heart. But heart is absolutely delicious. But it also is one of those meats I kind of touched on before. You got to know what you're cooking. So I always, you know, use the reference, you know, cook it two minutes or two hours. There's no in between because it is a muscle that gets a lot of work and it can be very tough, but it can also be tender. and It's also very delicious. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of know what you're doing, but um, that's one I just, if, if you know how to clean it, you kind of butterfly it and there's a little silver skin. It's got the two chambers. So you take the little silver skin out as, as best as possible and then, uh, you know. <laughs> so, Jim, I got to say, uh, talking about the heart, I've had a lot of people tell me that's good. I uh, I guess uh, I didn't think I'd be squeamish, but I get a little squeamish there. But I'll take your word for it, okay? <laughs> if I ever get a chance, I would love to show you what I'm talking about. <laughs> Venison heart chili. I can't wait. There you go. Uh, if you are hungry, you've tuned into the right place because we're talking to my favorite wild game chef, Jim Kinberg, who uh, is also an avid outdoor guy himself and uh, talking about uh, some of the secrets or tips for cooking wild game. Just just uh, quit talking about venison, although we, venison could be a topic for the whole show, I'm sure. Uh, but Jim, you mentioned, um, um, let's talk about, uh, say, pheasants. I mean, uh, again, pheasant breast is uh, doesn't have a lot of fat in it and so you've got to do some special things but overall it's 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 pretty good uh pretty pretty good flavored uh, uh meat right it's a delicious protein if you don't overcook it it's really good is that the uh, usual problem is uh, oh my gosh it's wild i gotta cook the hell out of it exactly uh that's that's the most common mistake that i've come across and talking with other people too um they would have to agree with yeah don't overcook it that's where you get the bad textures you cook the flavor right out of it it's not an enjoyable experience sometimes even you know like the the classic uh what is it the cream of wild mushroom soup and, and pheasant breast you can still overcook it in that and it can be dry and stringy um but that's that's why it's so popular is because you're putting it in a cream-based sauce that's going to retain some moisture and, you know, help it taste better, help the texture, et cetera. I would say that pheasant breast without a cream sauce is probably not a good idea. That would be me, a non-chef, talking, of course. <laughs> you, you might have some other thoughts. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing pheasant and cream sauce. Um, you know, that can be a very delicious recipe as well. But it's, you know, 100% not necessary if, if you have confidence in the technique uh, from the seasoning to the searing uh, to the internal temperature that you're cooking it to, then letting it rest a little bit so it can reabsorb those juices before you uh, cut into it and eat it. Mm -hmm. I think um, one common mistake, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but is that, oh my gosh, if it's wild, uh, a lot of people tend to overcook, right? They do 100%. That's, uh, <laughs> I hear that quite a bit. 
So they they think, um, you know, it's a lot safer to cook it if it's been through a federally inspected plant and versus, you know, harvesting it out in the woods. Um, so there's that mental perception, but uh, it's it's not true. I mean, it's, it's in one of my experiences, you know, that wild game is. I live for eating that stuff. You know, it's delicious. Hey, we'll be back with Jim Kinberg to talk more about uh, wild game cooking right after these important messages. Our good friends at Connecticut. You already know how much my family loves Connecticut water. We have it in our home and just this summer added Connecticut water at the cabin. (laughs) What a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that darn sour cabin water. You know, that stinky, foul well water. After a really painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning. It's great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, a big shout out to the Minnesota Propane Association. Did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years while electric heat pumps only last about 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat in your home. Why buy two heating systems when propane furnace can do it all? Lasts longer, works better, and costs less. These things and more are being done today with propane. The right energy right now. Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pond Two Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the Rolla Dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Welcome back to the final segment here. We're talking, I'm getting hungry. We're talking wild game (laughs) cooking with one of the uh, top experts that I know, Jim Kinberg, a top chef in the Twin Cities area and also an active uh, outdoorsman. Um, uh, Jim, all right, we talked about don't overcook your wild game, et cetera. Uh, Now we got to get the ducks. I have never found a a good way to cook ducks in my own kitchen or my wife, bless her heart, and she's a great cook in her own right but boy i go to canada and there's a little chinese restaurant up there we give them some ducks they cook them and they're they're to die for so i bring some home i bring some home i can never duplicate what they do and and uh, something's wrong um are ducks that difficult to cook uh ducks yeah kind of like salmon is to the family of fish ducks are to the family of um, fowl birds Uh, they do have a little stronger flavor uh, they're a little trickier to cook sometimes, retain that natural moisture. But the reason we probably like them so much when they're coming out of that that Asian restaurant that you referenced is because of the heavy marinades and sauces. The you know big flavors coming from that kind of balance out those flavors of the duck. And I'm guessing they're not overcooking those ducks either. 
So that's some of my favorite recipes when preparing duck, uh, when they're marinated in soy sauce. And I like to sneak a little maple syrup in there for the sweetness, too, to kind of balance off the saltiness. If you like it spicy, put some chili flakes in there. And uh, ginger can go a long way, too, in those marinades. It's really delicious. So your suggestion here is to get a good recipe uh, for duck if you're if you're like me, you look like shoe leather when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, duck can definitely do that. Shoe leather is a, a good example, a good comparison. Yeah. Um, now, wild goose, I tend to, the breasts, I, I cut those into what I would call fingers and sure. uh, roll them in salt and pepper or roll them in flour, a little salt and pepper and put them in a hot frying pan, flip them a little bit uh, once or twice and eat. Um uh, that's about the only way I've found to do Canada goose, for example. I, that's a great way to do it. And so much wild game you can do with that same exact principle that you just explained. You know, just season it with salt and pepper if you want to roll it in a little flour. Um, sear it in oil in a, a cast iron pan. It's delicious. I don't care if it's venison, if it's pheasant, if it's goose. Uh, once again, being sure not to overcook it. Um, and you get that true flavor of what that you know critter tastes like too i mean it's really delicious meat yeah it's healthy meat too it hasn't been fed a bunch of chemicals i guess exactly it's doing what what god intended it's running around the woods and foraging and living its life and then it gets to uh sustain our life if, if we are lucky enough to consume it well jim we're just about out of time here um uh one last question uh, of all the wild game, we haven't even talked about rough grouse. I don't know if you could ruin rough grouse. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite of all? Uh, well, if, if we're not talking about rough grouse, I got to throw that out because that is my favorite of all. Um, Mine too. Just because it's such a challenging hunt too, and that that meat is so delicious and so clean. Um, but honest to God, it's a toss up between. You know, I've had some delicious rabbit. I really do like rabbit. And I really, I, pheasant is, is hard to beat, too, when it's done right. I was That's raised, a really tough question. <laughs> I was raised on squirrels. And okay. a, lot of, a lot of people like squirrels, those river tree rats. You know, yeah. you know people don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I think one of my favorites uh, is, is uh, two, elk and caribou. Um, okay. Uh, both of them are at the top of the, the list for me, above venison, way above venison. I don't think you can ruin elk. I've had moose. Moose is good. It's just kind of a little tougher meat. But uh, I guess, you know, to your credit, Jim, any of it is good if it's uh, prepared in the right way. That's a big part of it. I 100% agree. Well, listen, we talked about venison. Uh, we talked, you gave some great tips. We talked about pheasants, uh, pretty hard to uh, ruined pheasants, uh, but as we mentioned, uh, overcooking is the is the big hazard there. I tell you, I have to admit, there's one wild game or one wild bird that I can't seem to. Neither can my wife. We can't cook it, so we like it, and that would and that's the uh, uh, that is um, um, a wild duck. So I don't know. Uh, what uh, what's going on there? Wild duck. That that is a tricky one. I'll agree with you on that one. And you know, from species to species, they all have their own little unique characteristics. Um, if possible, I always like to reserve the the uh, the skin on the breast. Uh, 
Um, if you can pluck those birds, get the feathers off of them. What does uh, that do? What does that do? It helps keep some moisture, and that's pretty much all fat on there. Um, it renders really crispy, so you get your saute pan, cast iron pan, um, kind of medium-high heat. And you want to place that skin side down in the pan with just a little bit of oil um, and let that skin crisp up. And that really does help the overall taste and texture of the duck. Um, the other thing you can do really is, is marinate it. Um, you know, you go a little heavier on the seasonings. If, you know, you're a little adverse to some of the stronger flavors, you want to match that kind of power to power with your seasoning profile. Um, so whether that's a marinade, whether that's a dry rub, um, those can also help really make it a more pleasant experience. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> for a chef like you, talking about dry rubs, marinating, all that stuff, it's easy to say because you have all this experience. If uh, any listeners are saying, oh, yeah, hey, how do you do that, blah, blah, blah. Do you have some favorite uh, resources to that? you would suggest they use or read besides watching Minnesota Bound, you and Laura doing all this fancy cooking? Sure. Yeah, no, we've got plenty of recipes online and it's easy enough to, you know, Google any recipe these days. And also in the grocery store, have some fun, experiment with, you know, what looks good to you on the grocery store shelves. But one of my favorite go-tos, especially for duck, is a soy-based marinade. And it's very simply just, uh, I, I like to use a low-sodium soy sauce. Um, there's a, a product that you'll see in, in the health food aisles called Bragg. It's a liquid aminos. It is, you know, very similar to soy sauce and flavor, but I use that a lot in my marinades. Um, so that, uh, if I was going in the Asian direction, maybe a little toasted sesame oil, some fresh ginger, garlic, uh, some chili paste or chili flake. Uh, let that sit in a Ziploc bag in the fridge overnight. And then when you take it off, just kind of pat it dry before you sear it. Otherwise, those, you know, seasonings tend to, you know, kind of burn or over-caramelize in the, in the cooking process. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Um, I think we mentioned earlier, when it comes to Canada geese, now, a lot of people don't like Canada geese. I kind of do, but I I have always just taken the breasts out and uh, cut them into fingers, rolled them in seasoned flour, uh, put them in a frying pan with a little oil or butter and oil and uh, hot and, and and flipped them a couple times and and put them on the plate uh, to me that uh, that serves a couple purposes one it's easy and two uh, like you always say don't overcook and so you kind of not you don't tend to overcook when you do it that way do you have any comments about that Right. No, that's spot on. And some of the simplest recipes are some of the best recipes, too. And I love that technique because it gives you the true flavor of the, the game, um, you know, uh, what the meat tastes like when you don't over season it or have to over marinate it. You really get that true flavor. So that's great. One of my favorite recipes for uh, Canadian goose, it's, it's kind of a camp classic, but we, we cut them into smaller pieces like that. And we may marinate them in beer and barbecue sauce overnight. Uh, then we'll wrap them in bacon. If we're getting fancy, we'll put a little slice of apple or maybe some cheese in there. Uh, and then just slow cook them on a charcoal grill. And they are delicious. <laughs> that's, a that's a pretty fancy uh, uh, recipe, uh, which reminds me about morning doves. Now, Minnesota has a morning dove season. Um, yes. It's tough because our morning doves, 
we raised quite a few of them, but they uh, tend to migrate out of the state uh, almost about the time the season opens. But I uh, reminded me we would take the morning dove of dove breasts and wrap them in bacon, maybe a, a pepper or something. I can't remember. Put them yeah. on the grill, and uh, they're delicious. Yeah, and it's you know there's not much meat to those little doves, but that meat is delicious. It's uh, even less than a grouse, right? Yeah, it's dark. It's dark meat where grouse is uh, a lighter meat. Speaking Correct. of rough grouse, I don't know if there's any way uh, they need any help. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 my they're my favorite wild game bird. And mine as well. I, I absolutely love grouse. I mean, you have to work hard for them typically. Every once in a while, you get an easy one, but that's usually not the case. Uh, it's usually a long day in the woods, a lot of walking through thick brush. And when you do get those birds, they, they truly are treasures. The Minnesota History Center presents Sherlock Holmes, the Exhibition. Learn about the powers of observation and solve an interactive mystery while following the footsteps of the world's most famous detective. Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota Central Region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit LegendaryND.com. Jim, we're almost out of time here, but we haven't talked about fish. Now, when it comes to walleye, I do all the fish cooking in my family, but it's pretty much uh, deep fat fried. I, I put sure. them in. I don't, I don't do a beer batter. I don't like that because it's too much batter. It's a, I, I use a dry powder. My friend Gary Roach has a, has a fish batter that's just dry. I, I soak the fillets in beer and... Uh, Make sure all the bones are out, and then uh, soak them in beer, and then I put the dry the dry coating uh, on and 350 degrees oil. That's the key, and uh, bingo. But a lot of people say, ah, that's all you do is deep fat fry walleye. I go, well, I don't know. That's, that's my skill level. What do you say to that? Uh, there's plenty of options out there, and there's nothing wrong with deep fat frying. I'm a big fan of it on occasion. Uh, but I do like the alternative too. Um, some of the 
fun stuff, things we've done with um, fish in the past is, you know, like if you dredge it in your, your dry uh, flour mixture, whatever you're using, um, you can also use nuts and stuff like that. If a lot of people are gluten free these days too, that's a nice alternative. So finely ground almonds or finely ground pecans and just use that like a flour where um, you dredge them with that. I like to soak them or mix up some egg wash, uh, which is basically just one egg with just a touch of milk. Whisk that up really good. You can use a fork and a bowl. Um, but, you know, season your fish first, run it through that uh, egg wash, um, and then just have your mixed, uh, finely ground nuts and just kind of pat it into the fish fillet as well. And then you take your frying pan. Um, you can melt a little butter. You can use oil. And I like to use a little lower heat when I'm working with nuts because they tend to burn. But, um, they don't have such a high uh, resistance to heat. Um, so over medium heat until they get golden brown, flip them once, let them cook through, and they're really delicious. A little bit of uh, lemon juice over the top. It's a really nice alternative. That sounds very, very good. Um what about northern pike? They're very popular. Of course, a lot of people, uh, there's the issue with the, uh, the the bones that are tough to get out unless you know what you're doing. Uh, we won't get into that. But uh, northern pike has more of a, as some people would say, a fishy flavor. Uh, so Some people like the fishy flavor. Others say, no, give me the bland walleye. Uh, what's your take on northern pike? I don't find pike to be fishy. I mean, I agree with everyone else. Uh, the comments I hear basically are they're a pain in the butt to clean. You know, they're slimy. Uh, there's a lot of bones to them. But if you're willing to take the effort and deal with those factors and you can render a uh, fillet of pike that is boneless, I don't find them that fishy if, if they're fresh and, and stored well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's a delicious alternative. I, I love walleye too, but walleye does not have a lot of flavor. Pike has a little bit more flavor than walleye, but I really don't find it fishy. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, a lot of people uh, say I'd rather have northern pike because I like that flavor where the walleye is is uh, is kind of bland. I guess yeah. I like them both. Um, <laughs> Agreed. I've got, uh, here's an issue that I can't seem to solve. Uh, bluegills and crappies. Now, when I was a kid, we'd catch bluegills. We would... Uh, uh, gut them, scale them, and then my mother would fry them in an iron frying pan with, uh, I think, uh, uh, lard. Okay. And I remember them as just being crispy and delicious. And subsequently, now in my adult life, I try to do bluegills that way, or I fillet them out, or I take the skin off, or whatever. I can't seem to duplicate the great taste of bluegills like I did as a remember as a boy. Would that be the oil? It could be the oil. I mean, that uh, lard does have flavor in it. I mean, um, it, it, in years past, I you heard all the horror stories about cooking with lard. I'm actually reading things about benefits of cooking with lard today. So right. <laughs> you be the judge. I'm, I'm not being the expert here by any means, but right. I do prefer the flavor of lard uh, when, when frying. Uh, it's it's a old technique, but a good technique for sure. Well, I think I'm going to try lard next time I do bluegills and or crappies. Um, salmon, we don't, uh, you know, have a lot of 
salmon uh, naturally in Minnesota. We have some steelhead, but that's not salmon. It's a rainbow trout out of the Lake Superior. There are some salmon in Lake Superior. A lot of people go over to Lake Michigan and catch salmon. Um, uh, my friend Burger Brothers, they get a bunch of salmon. They actually, I think, buy it at a store, but they smoke theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts about salmon? I love salmon. Um, you know, the wild species, I agree in Minnesota. It's it's not the same product as if you're paying the big dollars for the Alaskan um, harvested stuff. Uh, but it is a good product. And I prefer if it is local salmon coming off the Great Lakes um, to smoke them. I think that's a great way to do it. And I typically will do a, a brine, a wet brine with some brown sugar and some salt. Um, let that soak in there for three to four hours. Um, and then I air dry it. So I, I rinse it off under cold water after it's been brined. And I just let it be exposed to air in the fridge or outside if you have a, a, the right temperature. And so it gets that little uh, bit of skin, that tackiness. And that really grabs the smoke and adds a lot of flavor. And it also seals in a lot of the moisture, too. So you get that really moist, smoky, delicious meat. Interesting. Uh- the, the, my friend, the Burger Brothers, they cold smoke there. They built a cold smoking device. It looks like a chimney. But anyway, that's about, that's more way over my pay grade. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. If, I don't remember if I asked you this or not, Jim. Uh, of all the wild game, well, we haven't even talked elk or caribou, uh, which are two of my favorites. I would I would put elk above venison, way above venison in my book. Uh, moose is pretty good. I've had that too. It's a little tougher, stringier meat, but it's good flavor. Uh, how about you? Do you have an all-time favorite wild game of uh, whether you've shot it or yourself or tasted it from somebody else's freezer? Well, my easy answer is grouse. Um, I've got a long history. That was the first bird I hunted. It was my first experience out in the woods with a shotgun. It's always been a special treat for me. But one of my not so common, most favorite items to cook is the venison heart. And people get a little squeamish on that. But uh, the, the process that I've come up with really renders a, a delicious product. And I love just the, the surprise element when I expose it to my friends or family and get them to try it. And they're always very apprehensive. And then they taste it and you see it in their eyes that, yeah, it's pretty darn delicious. Yeah, you, you, gotta, you can't be thinking about it too much. <laughs> no, and it's it's one of those, it's a little tricky to cook. I mean, it's my rule of thumb is cook it two minutes or two hours. Anything in between, it's it's really <laughs> rough, it's tough, it's not a pleasant experience. But when you get it right, uh, when it's seasoned properly, cooked properly, slice it thin, it's, it's a texture, it's a flavor that's very, very appealing. Well, it's a very fine muscle, actually. Um, yeah, it gets a lot of work. <laughs> I'm laughing here because my daughter, Simone, just shot her first buck in the Minnesota deer season. And uh, uh, somebody asked her, are you going to save the heart? And she rolled up her nose and said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> that, I've heard that many, many times. And I get those people just to try one piece. And then you see it. It's a game changer. <laughs> well, Jim, I wish I had your cooking skills. Um, as you probably wish you had my hunting and fishing skills. I would just I leave do. it like that. <laughs> but uh, well, Jim, I'm thank you for taking your time. I'm sure your cook, your pot is boiling over <laughs> at the moment. So uh, thank you again for joining us. That was Jim Kinberg, uh, and uh, we're going to 
say goodbye here. That does it for the Minnesota Bond, uh, Minnesota Bound podcast. The stories behind the stories, brought to you by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. We'd also like to thank the Minnesota Historical Society, Minnesota Propane Association, Star Bank, my favorite bank, Hewitt Docks, North Dakota Tourism, and Green Belt Camel Pack. Until next time, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Uh, show them a little wild game cooking. Mm-hmm.